Welcome to Nerds the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. And I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. And on this episode, we're doing one of my picks. And uh, Captain Smugface is making his return over here. <laughs> uh, we're reviewing Baby Driver. The uh-huh. uh, Okay, so guys, before we get rolling, I just want to tell you, um, I was as, well, as I watched this movie, I was thinking about how sad it was that it flopped. And so today at work, I did a poll. Everywhere I went today, I asked the people who were also at work, had they seen Baby Driver? Um, no one had seen it. Two people remembered vaguely hearing of it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's unfortunate. But uh, it's, a, it's an awesome movie. I think it's going to make for a great conversation. All right. Yeah, this is a great movie. Was it 2017? Uh, yes. South by Southwest, March 11th, come out June 28th in the U.S. and U.K. Jamie, this uh, movie grossed $226 million worldwide. So it wasn't a huge success money-wise. But now this thing uh, was nominated, I don't know if you knew this, this thing was nominated for three Academy Awards. I'm not shocked. I bet one of them was editing. Editing uh, and music and sound design. Yeah, mm-hmm. was, was it, not was shocked at any of those. So, nope. Nope. So yeah. that, and and that's going to deal a lot with our conversation. Now, Jamie, you ask everybody that you run into <laughs> if they had seen this movie and no one had. Well, I ran into one person and asked him if they'd seen this movie, and he had seen it four times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> But I think I think this is gonna be like a cult classic. I bet like fifteen, twenty years from now, I think this thing will have a following. Um, I, I think so too. It's got a really strong story. If you like heist movies, if you like music, this is the jam right here, and uh, this is an Edgar Wright jam, kind of along, uh, not quite along the lines of of a Shaun of the Dead or a Hot Fuzz. This is a quite a bit different from those. But it, it, you can see like his beautiful, weird mind all over mm-hmm. it. Definitely. Yeah. You know, it, and this, I was going to say, this movie also has such an interesting cast, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure we'll get into that as we, uh, as we go through here. So, but uh, it's such a diverse cast. Yeah. And, and not, and not just by ethnicity, just by like their backgrounds. Like, oh yeah, like some of these people aren't like funny people. They're not people you would imagine would be in, ever be in an Edgar Wright movie. Yeah, exactly. We need. Let's do our keeping it one hundred first. Yeah, let's. We can't for opening thoughts. Let's let's go yeah. ahead and keep with the, the, the <laughs> stick of the show and start off with our keeping it one hundred. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. 100. <laughs> Dwayne, you're first out of the gate. What's your keeping it 100? Well, I'm staying on brand this week. Uh, I know I've kind of drifted the last few weeks, but uh, I had a chance to watch a music biopic. Surprise. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really? <laughs> Rocket Man, uh, the, the Elton John story. If it's not entirely family friendly, no, uh, <laughs> just to say the least. Uh, but if you uh, you know enjoy rock and roll, if you enjoy extravagant lifestyles, if you enjoy just somebody's life being a train wreck on screen, uh, Taron Edgar 
Edgerton does a great job of portraying Elton John. Uh, Jamie Bell is his uh, partner in writing, Bernie Talpin, um, and his rise and fall and struggles in stardom. And the way that the music is integrated in this is really interesting at times. Um, the music really does tell the story a lot. And it's just a super fun movie. So check it out. It is free on Amazon Prime right now. Rocket Man. All right. Interesting. I, I, I'd heard that we can meet the music in, in a really creative manner. Yeah. yeah. It's Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, and it's not even <laughs> attempting to. And, and that's the thing. Right. It's not attempting to compete with Bohemian Rhapsody. It's its own vision. It's its own thing, you know. And it's really beautiful. I'm such a snob about Queen. I thought he'd watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as far as Rocket Man, though, you know, Taron Edgerton is just, I think, proving himself, just more and more proving himself to be such a great actor and such a versatile actor. And I just, I thought it was interesting with that, just to back uh, up here. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard as his mother. So. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I did not even realize that was her. Yeah, I did wow. when I first saw it, and wow. I had to look at it. Wow, who played his mother? She was awful, and uh, it's Bryce Dallas Howard playing his mother in there. So but she was supposed to be awful, so it's not anything. She was ability. She was a horrible person. She was, a and great she did actress. a great horrible. job being horrible. So, <laughs> all right, all right. Very tell guys, it's gonna be one of those nights. All right, Jamie. <laughs> Uh, I I started off badly. I got we got to tighten up the ship, guys. Sorry, <laughs> I started us off on the wrong foot. All right, so I, I'm next, and uh, as long as we're keeping things on brand, I'm gonna go with a comic book podcast um, <laughs> called Rob Servations. And Rob Liefeld was one of my it was my he was my first favorite comic book creator. And yes, I know he can't draw feet, um, but. But like even in the 90s, there was this intensity about reading a Rob Liefeld comic book. Um, there was an excitement and an enthusiasm about his comics that really, there was this energy about him that really resonated with, you know, 12-year-old Jamie. Um, but he's recently started a new comic book podcast, and it's capturing all of that energy, that enthusiasm that you, you catch from his art. You can, you can hear his voice. He still has that same love for comics. But he's taking a trip down memory lane. Like, he's telling the history of comic books from his own personal experience. So like the first episode talks about like when he was seven years old, figuring out how comic books work, that they come out once a month. <laughs> and that, you know, like they, they continue stories sometimes, you know, and it's just this interesting um, thing. And he's a really gifted storyteller. He might actually be a better storyteller than he is writer. <laughs> oh, wow. I love his art. Not maybe, maybe he's better than somebody else writes the scripts. I'm not sure. But he's this really gifted storyteller, and there's this warmth and enthusiasm for comic books that just is all over the whole thing. And there's only four episodes out so far, and he's still in the 1970s. We've gotten to the late 70s, but it's a really great time. And I, I just love the passion he still has for comics after all these years. And that's my Keeping 100, Rob Observations. Cool. I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, you know, I was always a little bit of an art snob when it came to um, Liefeld. So. <laughs> I'm sure. I, really, I really was. I never really wanted to be, but I, I found myself doing that. Coming from a uh, John Byrne, John Buscema type of world, 
uh, Liefeld was, was very different for me. So, uh, but I do agree. He has a passion for the industry and he has a love of the medium. Uh, and I've learned more about that as I've learned about him as a creator. So that's pretty cool. And it's fun, the reverence he has for the guys that went before him. Yep. I mean, it's it's just, it's this cool thing. Like It doesn't sound like there's any competition at all. He doesn't feel like any competitiveness like to compare himself. Like He's just in awe of these guys still. And, it's, and he's made a few little comments that are pretty interesting. I'm going to pick your brain about later, Sammy. But, okay, yeah, awesome. Observation. All right, so what, what's your keeping 100? I'll, I'll start. Our, I'm, okay. I'm ruining the episode. Sorry, guys. All <laughs> right. So... <laughs> My Keep It at 100 is the revival of Creepshow. Uh, the old the old Creepshow movies, two movies in the theaters. Um, but AMC and Shudder, the horror streaming service, have been bringing Creepshow back. It's a six-episode series. One of the executive producers is Greg Nicotero from The Walking Dead, actually. Uh, and it brings back the feel from those old movies, those old anthology horror comics. Uh, you get two stories per episode. Creepy's back as the host, cackling all the way. Uh, but they're doing some interesting things. They're adapting stories, presenting new stories. Stephen King, Joe Hill, Bruce Jones, who did The Incredible Hulk. Paul Dini, who created Harley Quinn, is do it, has done one of the shows. And, you know, it has all those elements. It has some, some animation and some comic book panels for the openings uh, to bring you into the story and the, and the intermissions. Like I say, it's available on Shudder as well as AMC. It has been re uh, renewed for a second season. So I'm very much looking forward to see where this show goes because I've really enjoyed it. So if you get into old school horror, I would check out Creepshow. Is it streaming anywhere, or do you think it will be? Uh, right now, on AMC's app, you can get all of the episodes up to, I think episode five was just came out. Episode six is this Monday, which will be the last episode of the first season. But uh, Shudder is where it's, its home is. It streamed like in September on Shudder, and then transitioned over to AMC over the past month. So but it's been pretty interesting though. Yeah, see, I haven't, I don't have a lot of experience with the uh, creep show. I've watched more of like Tales from the Crypt. Right, right. I, I think I saw one of the creep show movies, but I don't remember anything about it. Okay. I yeah, probably I've, saw it too young. Yeah, I, I always loved them because they were kind of quirky. They're kind of tongue in cheek humor horror. And that's what I've always kind of loved about creep show. And the TV show brings that into it. So I've loved every minute of that. So, <laughs> well, Sammy, while you're uh, while you're yapping, why don't you go ahead and start us off on our opening thoughts and grades? All right, so opening thoughts and grades for Baby Driver. Um, you know, this is definitely an Edgar Wright movie, and it's almost his version <laughs> of a musical. Okay, as, as I started breaking this down and really thinking about it, this is an Edgar Wright musical almost. It's fast paced. It's quirky. It's somewhat raw. Uh, it definitely has that feel of like 70s city genre movies, very gritty in nature. I think about Dog the Afternoon, Taxi Driver, that kind of feel in this movie. Uh, but it's one of those that you have to pay attention. If you're not paying attention, you're not getting everything this movie has for you. Mm -hmm. So it's not a casual watch. 
So if I'm giving this thing a grade, though, I'm going A minus. There's a reason behind it, Captain Smugface. So there is a, <laughs> there's a reason, okay? We'll explain later. All right. There's a pain section for that, I guess. Exactly, exactly. All right. Dwayne? Yeah. Well, um, now, I fell in love with this movie the moment I seen it. And I really started falling in love with it the moment I heard about it. I'd never seen any commercials of being a cord cutter. Uh, this thing you know, wasn't popping out, uh, you know, trailers on, on YouTube ads and things. But I, I listened to an interview with Edgar Wright as he was promoting this thing. And the more he described it, I'm like, yeah, this is something I can really get into. As he's talking about the way he used music. Sammy talks about it being an Edgar Wright musical. But the way he uses music in this movie to tell the story, to tell you about the characters for Baby's situation with his tinnitus from the uh, accident when he was a youngster with his parents, um, you know, and the music design in here. Uh, he said when he sent the script to the actors, he sent them a playlist and said, scene one is this song. Listen to this song while you're reading the scene. These things will happen with these beats. Scene two is this song. These things will happen with these beats. Listen to this. And as you watch the movie and you see the stuff in the background that's happening, it's it's dead on. It, it, it goes right along with the story. And the sound design is brilliant where music is such a character. But aside from that, you have Baby's Tinnitus. The ringing in the ear from from uh, you know an extremely loud noise and ear injury, ear fatigue from music or whatever. Uh, being a musician, I have a small touch, but there's a high pitched squeal at the beginning when the Sony logo comes up, and it carries almost the whole movie if you really pay attention. But uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love this thing. It's not a perfect movie. There are a few little things that that really get me. But I, I'm going to go a little bit above Sammy and give this thing an A. Okay. All right. Uh, you're both nuts. Uh, <laughs> I really wanted Baby Driver in the Ring of Honor. Uh, <laughs> I'm going A+. Plus. Um, and I know I'm an Edgar Wright homer. Um, I'm in the bag. <laughs> uh, he's going to have to make like two or three bad movies in a row for me to give up on him. Um, but, but this is a unique movie, uh, even for him. Um, it's it this. I mean, you can. It, there's an Edgar Wright feel to it, but it doesn't feel like his previous movies. Um, and some of his like flourishes that he's known for, like the quick cuts, aren't really here. Think about like the um, the crazy scene in Hot Fuzz when they're like, they're doing paperwork. There's <laughs> that mm -hmm. crazy intense music. <laughs> the quick cuts to making coffee. That stuff's not here. But it still has that same sort of sensibility about it. There's a there's a, a, a cleverness, a wit about it. There's a sense of humor that, that's there. But it's a unique movie. It's not um, – I mean, I, I don't know that everybody would have caught that. Like, if you had just seen, like, Shaun of the Dead and watched the movie, you wouldn't have connected the dots. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, he's, I think he's still stretching his wings. I think, the, I think he's still um, like becoming you know, the director he's going to be. I, I feel like there's advances here. Um, and for a guy who was already, you know, the guy who made Hot Fuzz, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I'm rambling. I'm sorry. Uh, this is an A-plus movie, guys. I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's got, it's got Jason Bourne-level car chases. It's got Edgar Wright humor. It's got amazing acting. This is an A-plus. 
That's crazy. Well, um, it's on the honor roll with all A's. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it may not be in the ring of honor, but it's on the honor roll with all A's. All right. But now you were talking about, Jamie, real quick. I just want to touch on two things real quick that, that you and Sam had both brought up. Sam talks about this being kind of like a, like a, like you can tell that the city and the era that this was in. And Jamie, you're talking about Edgar Wright, you know, still stretching his wings and developing different things. I did a little bit of homework for once on this movie. And apparently he's been developing this movie since he was a young teenager. And it was initially Sammy in Los Angeles and they moved it to Atlanta Mm -hmm. for the, for the, the feel of the city. So that's, that's really cool there. Cool. I like that. But I even like there, there's there's like camera stuff he does here that he hadn't done before. Oh, I mean yeah. there's I mean there's I mean I, I just feel like they, like there's even more like creative stuff going on here than he's ever done before. Um, and I guess I just snuck in an extra fan, so let's move to our fan section. <laughs> Graphically novel: Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not so classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. All right, Dwayne, you're first out of the gate. Where you go? Okay, I'm first out of the gate. Um, of course, I've already alluded to mine. Mine is the integration of music into the the the, the into Baby's character. It's the uh, you know the sound design through the whole movie and how. Edgar Wright used that to tell the story, how he used that choreographically with the car chases, with the tension and the interactions and the fights and things. And, you know, from the moment the movie starts, you know, baby sitting in the red Subaru waiting on the bank cast and he cranks up bell bottom and he's singing along and dancing in the car and the windshield wipers are moving with the beat. And, the, and then there's, there's a lull in the song. And the police go by. He straightens up. And then it kicks right back in. And he's just all choreographed and dead <laughs> on. And then, you know, as he uses uh, the mixtapes with the dialogue and stuff to, to you know, work through things and, and make his own beats and mix with existing music creatively. That's that's my fan. I love that integration there into his character and how you know he used that to deal with his issues with you know the the, the ear damage. All right, um, that's probably the right answer. Um, <laughs> but this is a personal <laughs> section, right? <laughs> um, so my my favorite thing, my fan for this one is the chemistry between Ansel Elgort and Lily James. Oh, beautiful! Um, those two are amazing together. Um, and there are movies that would kill for this. I, I watched John Carter this week, and that movie didn't deserve to be one of the I'm biggest sorry. flops in history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, it's not It's not a terrible movie, but the leads in that movie have absolutely no chemistry. Zero chemistry. Um, and like Ansel Elgort and Lily James, like in their, pin- in their pinky toes resting on the same table, have more chemistry <laughs> than anything in John Carter. And it, I mean, there are movies that would kill for what those two, two actors have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe they would fall in love. And once I've seen the laundromat scene, I believe they would do anything for each other. I believe mm-hmm. they would run away together. I believe she would fight the law with him. I believe she would attack John Hamm with a tire iron. All of it. <laughs> I believe it all. And I think if that if that relationship hadn't worked, if they hadn't had that chemistry, this movie would be a nice, fun little distraction. It wouldn't rise to the level 
that it, that it does. That, that chemistry is magic for this movie. Yeah. Definitely agree. Um, so as far as my fan, uh, I'm kind of pulling a little bit back to what kind of Dwayne had kind of alluded to is, you know, I love the way the music forms almost like this heartbeat in the movie. And everything else revolves around that. Every tap of the steering wheel, every gunshot, everything matches the rhythm of the music at that, that point. You know, this is, is more than just a visual spectacle. This is, this is a sensory spectacle. Uh, and I think that's what makes this movie stand out. It's what makes Edgar Wright's editing stand out. Because that all of that editing is what builds this this movie that really just jumps the music, the scenery, the sound design, all of it intertwining in a way that it just it just almost creates this living being, and, and I think that's what really stands out to me in this movie. So the the story and and that is some of the strongest parts for me. Yeah, it does have a very, very strong story there. But if you guys are okay with this, I'm going to throw one more fan down. And I think we're all going to agree. And I'm surprised neither one of you guys took it. Was the cast for this movie. I mean, you had big names. You had no names. You had Kevin Spacey. You had Jamie Foxx. You had Ansel Egger. Who? You know, you you had Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. John Hamm, Isa Gonzalez. I mean, Bernthal. Yeah, yeah, John Bernthal. I mean, yeah, just the cast and the way they interact. Don't they forget Lily. Have so much. Yeah, Lily James. <laughs> they all have so much chemistry. They all yeah. have so much chemistry. But I just I couldn't let the, this fan section pass without at least mentioning the cast. Fair. Yeah. Okay. So totally. now let's let's run to the garage and get our uh, tire irons <laughs> instead of our pans, maybe. <laughs> And throw some tire irons at this thing. All right, um, my pan has nothing to do with the actual movie. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm first out of the gate, and my pan has to do with the way the movie was released. Yeah. Um, this, that when this, after this movie was finished editing and before it hit the theaters, all the allegations against Kevin Spacey surfaced. And so there was a small boycott. People didn't want to see it to punish Kevin Spacey, which I get that. He's a terrible human being. Punish him all you want. I just feel bad for Edgar Wright and everybody else that worked on this movie. And um, for all the people who didn't get to see it. Yeah. But also, the I did see a few trailers for this movie. They had no idea how to market this thing. No. And they, uh, the, the, the Spacey stuff, the marketing, this movie didn't have a chance. And I just, the, the way it was released, I'm, when you read the box office number, I was surprised it was that much. Yeah, I was um, too. I really was too. Yeah. Hmm. And so I, I just, that for me, that's the pan. Because if this movie had had half a chance, I think it would have found an audience and it would not be a forgotten movie and not be waiting two decades for to find its audience. <laughs> <laughs> you know, j- just on, on that note, Jamie, before I go into my pan, do you think the title had anything to do with people maybe not understanding this movie? Maybe. But baby, I think Yeah, I know. Yeah. Baby Driver almost feels like it's like a sequel to Look Who's Talking. Yeah. You know, I mean, that Baby Boss, Boss or Baby. Boss Baby, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. And I don't know if maybe some people just didn't understand it for that reason. And maybe yeah. not. 
I, I know some of the trailers had, uh, you know, had kind of the little um, compilation of everybody saying his name, baby, 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 you know, <laughs> and uh, so I, I think they were trying to make people aware that that this is his name instead of, you know, he's he's driving babies around, you know, right? Let's go go get the papers, shoom, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'll go into my pan, and, and, I, and I'm waiting to get dirty looks from both of my co-hosts. Um, we have alluded to this is an amazing cast, and I will wholeheartedly say this is an amazing cast. But with a few e- exceptions, the characters are one-dimensional, and this is what really brought it down for me. Um, character study. Bats. Jamie Foxx's bats. He is just a dialed up to eleven villain. I mean that that's I get nothing else from him, and, and maybe that's okay. But for me, I was like, yeah, he's just like, you know, they all just feel despicable. They feel like they have no redeeming qualities at all. Even John Hamm, who has this wonderful moment that that makes him seem human mm-hmm. when he's defending Baby, and they're and they're listening to to Queen. Uh, and then after Darlene's death, he just becomes a destructive force. He becomes the Punisher. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just all of a sudden, boom. And I think with the exception of, of Baby and Deborah, you know, no one else really has much of a character feel to them. They're just very stock one-dimensional characters. And that's my biggest pan that brought it down to an A-minus for me. Do you think that's the aspect of it being a heist movie? Because it feels like it's a thing in heist movies. Yeah, you know, but like Ocean's Eleven is a heist movie. But I felt better about those characters. Hmm. Um, you know, but I don't know. Maybe it was just me. You know, there's really there's really not a lot of um, um, what's the word I'm looking for motivation for their actions. They're just doing these crimes. To me, it seems like, and you know, no baby's trying to get out of debt. I know, you know. Uh, John Hamm has a famous quote, you know, uh, you know, some people rob to support a drug habit. You know, I have a drug habit to support, you know, a, rob- a robbing habit, you know, whatever. But now my pen kind of goes hand in hand with, with Sam's. And I know there are parts of the dialogue here where they allude to, you know, John Hamm having a past and being these things. And they allude to people's, uh, you know, different names and things. So you can, I, I think Edgar Wright's maybe trying to tell us that there's more to these people without really giving it to us. And I don't know if it's just where he had been developing these characters for so long, if certain parts of this from where he was younger and didn't have those writing skills uh, that he has developed over the years and that just maybe slipped through the cracks with everything else. But, you know, Baby and... um uh, Debbie are such strong, beautiful characters that, that everybody else is kind of a shadow of that. And my pen goes uh, directly to, you know, that one dimensional thing. But Doc's face turn, you know, he turns from many heel to a face when he tells me, well, I was in love once. And then he starts defending him right away. You know, and we see Kevin Spacey have been this evil mastermind, just undercutting everybody, having cops on the payroll, you know, just, and just being this cold, cruel, calculating. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember, love. Let me be your friend now, you know. And, and with that turn, you know, just, just, just on a dime, you know, it was hard to buy. 
And, yeah. and it really, really showed some of the one-dimensionalness too, especially, you know, uh, all of these little side villainous characters, uh, you know, who were great and a ton of fun. But really, like Sam said, didn't have a lot of depth. So that face turn with Doc was my biggest pan of the movie. Yeah, that's the closest thing I'll admit to the bigger flaw in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I, I, too far off base, right? Yeah. No, I, I just think for me, like, I have different expectations for a heist movie. I expect people to basically be their job. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever your role is for the heist, that's your character. I mean, I don't, I just don't expect much more than that. Yeah, right. and and that's and that's you know basically all we get here. But you know, each one of these characters, I mean, they're so colorful. But you know, there's really not a lot of depth to them. Like I it's said, like, I just, I don't expect it. I mean, uh, it's, it's like a rainbow. They're cool and beautiful to look at, but they're kind of see-through. <laughs> okay, good effort. Let's move on to the awards. Go. All right, same at your first out of the gate on our first award, best performance. All right, best performance. Um, I have to give best performance to Ansel Edgert in this movie as Baby. Um, if he doesn't work, this movie doesn't work, plain and simple. Uh, we talked about how innovative it is in terms of sound movement. You've got to have an actor that can match that. And I think Eldred has that kind of physicality and rhythm. You know, this guy can dance. You know, this, this isn't just, you know, I learned some choreography. This guy has some rhythm and it comes across well with this character. Um, so I think that best performance definitely has to go to him. I agree. That's what I've got. And you're, I did a little bit of research, too. Um, he's got a ballet background. It's gonna say I can see makes, that physicality. Make, yeah. yeah, it makes perfect sense. When he's he so did good. Those turns in the apartment that were very classical types of uh, of kind of pirouettes and turns that you would see in ballet. But he pulls off something that's really hard to pull off. Goofy and charming at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to nail. Like his scenes when he's picking up Deborah. That shouldn't work. Nothing he says or does should work, but you absolutely believe it's working for that girl. I mean, it works so perfectly. And it's his it's his face acting, it's his movements, the, it's, even the posture communicates so much in some of these scenes. Um, yeah, it's Ansel's the right answer. Yeah, I agree entirely. Ansel Eggert as Miles. It doesn't give a last name. His first name was Miles. I found out mm-hmm. um, as, and the character's name Baby. But uh, yeah, Jamie, um, I'm going to throw a word out here that I had uh, heard used when you describe just charm and, and movement and boldness is dash. I mean, he has that dashing man. And he's just you know, making these moves. He's just so cool. And it's nothing to him. He's just like, yeah, I'm, I've got this. You know, and then sometimes, you know, when he's talking to Deborah, he's like really nervous and gets kind of goofy a little bit, you know, just like any other guy would. So he's, he's perfect, perfect for this role entirely. Yep. Ansel Eggert all the way. I agree. Yeah. And, and a sneaky little thing he does is his scenes with his foster dad. Love it. Those are so good. He, he, he kind of lets his guard down there. and He plays like a slightly different, like, you know, vibe there. 
and I, lo- I love those little moments. Those are, I mean, and I have those different gears for one character. I think it shows yeah. off he's a, he's a really good actor. Yeah. Well, Jamie, you just talked about my favorite scene um, as the interactions between, um, you know, baby and his foster uh, parent, Joseph, uh, you know, he, he's a, he's a wheelchair bound uh, elderly deaf man. And, uh, you know, when, baby and Debbie are dropping him off at the nursing home and he's just giving him these stacks of cash and he's like I don't I don't I, I can't and he's like no you you take it you know he's like well, where did you get this don't worry about it you know <laughs> and just their interaction you know he's making peanut butter sandwiches for him you know and and it's just such a beautiful thing for all of the criminalness all of the suave smooth driving and dancing and and, and just coolness that happens, that interaction there with him, uh, you know, and culminating with dropping him off and knowing he'll never see him again probably is, is really touched me in this movie. Cool. All right. Well, um, <laughs> as we pause, I'll go next. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with the weird one too. I thought we were all going to pick driving scenes. Um, for me, I think the laundromat scene is the most important scene in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and it's so good. The two of them are so good together. And I, I think that the whole third act has absolutely no tension in it. If we haven't bought that those two were already deeply, madly in love. Yep. Um, I think the, I think the third act is just fun to look at. But because of that scene, because of what we believe about those two people, that entire third act becomes, instead of just fun to look at, it's incredibly tense. Yeah. And... Yeah, and, it, and and the stakes are just through the roof. And so I think the laundromat scene, uh, for what it is in itself, is this really sweet little little scene, but also for what it does for the rest of the movie, makes it a really important scene. And the it's scene integral, movie. yeah. That's true. You're not wrong. Yeah. And you, it, I think especially with that scene, you get the feeling that, that both of these characters are kind of outliers. And it's like they found someone who gets them. You know, and and that that music connection, I think, is what steps up first. You know, that kind of thing, and you know that I just yeah, I, I could buy that totally. All right, uh, for my scene, I had to go funny. All right, I had to go funny. I love the scene with the Mike Myers masks. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I know it's a sight gag. I know it's just you know. But it just cracks me up. That interaction. That's not Myers. <laughs> this is not Myers. Just the way that Flea and Jamie Foxx and June are just interacting in that car. I mean, it's hilarious. You know, I crack up every time in that scene. So that's got to be my best scene. There, there's a story behind that. Um, uh-huh. They wanted it to be the real Michael Myers mask from Halloween, and they couldn't get the rights. And so all of that dialogue and it being the Mike Myers uh, face from you know, uh-huh. Officer Powers, it's all a dig at the people who wouldn't give them the rights. <laughs> it makes it even funnier to me. Now that I'm oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but that, that scene, just, it just, I'm, I laugh every time at it. So, All right, well, our next award is Best Character, and I get the privilege of going first. And the right answer is Baby, but I already gave Ansel the award for Best Performance, so I'm going to give it to somebody else. I'm going to use Sammy's Oscar (laughs) rules. That's all right. I'm going to go with Deborah here. Um, I love uh, her performance here. I love how charming she is. I love, I mean, she's conventionally attractive. I mean, she's, you know, leading lady looks, all that kind of jazz. 
but she portrays that kind of weirdo that would be into babies so well. <laughs> and I love her attitude, her approach to life. Um, and I'll, I mean, the moment for me where I'm like, this, this lady is an amazing character is when she grabs the tire iron and wades into the fray <laughs> and goes after John and I'm like, yep. I mean, and, and she's just the perfect counterpart to our protagonist. And I, I think she humanizes Baby. And without her in this movie, I, I think Baby's just this weirdo, you know, you know, weirdo, naive guy pulled into this dark world. I, I think Deborah, being who she is in this movie, it elevates Baby as well as the whole movie. Yeah. Well, you know, I think what it is with Deborah, because she's my best character also, um, is because she's the most relatable character. She is the character that that grounds this fantastical feel of the movie you know she works at a diner she just wants to get out and see the world you know and i think all of us in our 20s probably felt similar to that you know i worked at a burger king in college i don't know how many times i just wanted to get in the car and drive and just never come back you know kind of deal so she feels really genuine now i will admit i have i've, I've got a soft spot for lily james in terms of actress um you know she is a great british character actress um she's been in downton abbey which i've mentioned a few times on this show <laughs> she was in darkest hour with gary oldman playing churchill and she was in yesterday and i loved her in yesterday also as, as her character there so but yeah uh, deborah is definitely my best character okay well i also use the oscar role of not choosing my best performance but uh, i did not go with the lily james i went with one of the bad guys uh, because there was just so many of them and one of them you know i know i'd mentioned earlier about them being kind of one-dimensional one of them really did kind of stand out just because he's so cool he's kind of the defunct leader while they're out in the field um i went with buddy john ham um, we find out his name's Jason Van Horn and Bats kind of calls him out for being, you know, used to be a straight laced guy who kind of went off the, went off the deep end. But, uh, yeah, I loved John Hamm's portrayal and it just being too cool for school. Yeah, just What's his name cool. really? Jason Van Horn. That's, that's what uh, Wikipedia told me. I think that was a basketball player in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think it was too. But no, it was, no, it was Keith Van Horn. Keith Van Horn was the basketball player. Well, maybe, well, maybe this was his cousin or his brother. Or <laughs> he went, into, uh, went into Wall Street and then wound up in the room. Um, okay. <laughs> right, well, John Hamm, I'm sure his name's going to be mentioned uh, later. Oh, yep. Uh, and that's not a bad one. I, I love John Hamm. He is so just perfect for that role. And I, and I, and I didn't expect it. Uh, when the first time I saw it, I was like, what he becomes by the end of that movie, I did not see that coming. He just goes <laughs> the deep. Yeah, he goes yeah. nuts. Yep. All right, Sandy, what's your best quote? All right, so I've talked about how this movie is a musical in many respects. So I think my best quote has to be a lyric. Oh, Deborah, always look like a zebra. <laughs> that is my favorite quote. <laughs> oh, Deborah. Always look like zebra. Yeah, that's it. So. <laughs> I swerved on that one, fellas. Well, uh, there's there's a a small little conversation that 
Go ahead, Dwayne. You're, you're in the middle of a No, a little, little bit of background here before we get into Jamie's uh, best quote. He's been smug since before we were recording about his writing <laughs> struggles. So uh, I just I just want everybody to be aware that, that Jamie is uh, you know, about to drop it hard on the table here. I, I built this up a little bit before we push record. <laughs> so I'm, I'm interested. There, there is a small little exchange that makes me laugh so hard. And I'm going to try to get through this without, without cracking up. So Baby's interacting with JD. And he noticed one of his tattoos. And he says, your tattoo says hat? Yeah, it used to say hate. But to increase my chances of employment, I had the E removed. And Baby says, how's that working out for you? And JD goes, who doesn't like hats? <laughs> Now, you know what's really funny with that, Jamie, is that was going to be my first choice. And I decided to swerve. <laughs> but, but JD is so earnest about it. He doesn't like that. That, that is a great, that is a great quote. That is a great quote. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I don't think you have the right answer. <laughs> Sam, you kind of alluded to my backup with the uh, Michael Myers mask. This is Michael Myers. You know? <laughs> this is Michael Myers. You know, that, that was kind of my backup quote. But my favorite quote in this whole movie is when uh, Doc, Kevin Spacey, is defending Baby to, uh, I forget one of the, which bad guy it was, but he's talking about him not speaking. Is he stupid? Is he retarded? Kevin Spacey said, is he stupid? It, was he slow? Was he slow? Was he stupid? And, and how that's turned into a mix and kind of uh, baby's theme as he, yeah. as he goes on. You know. Is he stupid? Is he slow? No, he's definitely not stupid. He's definitely not slow. <laughs> yeah, I take the soundtrack. I was hoping that mix was going to be on the soundtrack. Yeah. It's not. Uh, <laughs> I was hopeful. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm next up uh, with the the, uh, the award for our movie specific. We have two movie specific awards, and this one is such a strong way of 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 driving and car chases and music. So that is what we went with our favorite or most important driving or music scenes. Um, guys, I'm taking the opening scene. From the moment they step out of that red Subaru, dressed in gray and black, carrying their bags, to the minute that baby walks in and sits the coffees down on the table, you have Bell Bottom. You have the red Subaru chase where he goes under the underpass and confuses the chopper with the three cars. He's whipping in and out of traffic. He goes up into the garage. They ditch the red car, get in the green car, drive off, and then he's dancing along the streets of Atlanta with the music going behind him and he's spinning and he's dancing, he's moving and the stuff in the windows, the stuff that's happening, the lyrics and all the street. I mean, it just, that sets this movie so strong. You, you, you buy that scene, you're in the movie. That's the best scene. Well, Dwayne picked about 20 minutes of the movie and I'm going to pick a different 20 minutes of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to bet you're going to pick the 20 minutes in the, at the end of the movie. Close close to the end. Um, so there's a moment where Jamie Foxx gets what I call the wash treatment. Um, <laughs> so from the second Jamie Foxx gets the wash treatment until they end up in the supermarket parking lot with 
John Hans, Hans, John Ham's gun doing the drum beat to the song in the background. Yeah, it's perfection. I mean, the ch- like the on foot part of the chase, the driving, all of it. That scene is. I mean, it's probably probably more like thirty minutes. <laughs> but that but that scene just from beginning to end, it's action packed. It never stops. You can't you can't take a bathroom break till that scene's over. Uh, it's just it's great. It's my it's my, it's my favorite set of scenes. I guess it's not a scene. Okay, so Sammy, me and I've picked the first of the movie. Jamie's picked the last of the movie, so you've got the middle of the movie. So, right, so, so I love no, uh, actually <laughs> my. The, the best part as far as the, the music and things along those lines was that I picked was actually the second half of Dwayne's 20 minutes. Uh, <laughs> I love that first time he's getting coffee yeah. and just the music, the sound, the scenery, the words from the songs are showing up on signs, mm-hmm. on graffiti. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're there. And it's such just a, a punctuation, I think. Uh, of who baby is and what music means to this movie and the way he moves, you know, I, you know, I said, like I said, this, he's got rhythm. This guy can dance. It just felt so cool. I loved that scene. So yep. as far as my music thing moment, that would have to be it. So perfect. Yeah, that, that was my backup. And, and I think it's, I think for the first time I really noticed on this watch of the movie, how different the trips are when he gets coffee, because like, mm-hmm. After things are starting to go sideways for him, he just trudges back with his head down. There's no yeah. dancing. Yeah. The music doesn't match up with what's going on around him. It doesn't match up with the scenery. I just, Life's I, that off made, beat. Yeah. It, yep. it changes. And I, that, that change made that sound even more at the beginning. Um, so our last award this week is Best Hench Person. Um, <laughs> but there's so many options. They're all so good. They may be one-dimensional, but they're so good. I, but I have to go with Buddy. Because I just think of John Hamm as this suave, super cool dude. And he's just, he has those quiet moments where he bonds with, with, uh, with Baby. He's got his dysfunctional relationship with Darling. Um, all, all the stuff with Jamie Foxx. But man, when he goes bananas at the end, it's just, I did not see that from John Hamm. And just yeah. for, for me, where, where that goes. How crazy it gets, how dark it gets, how bonkers he gets. I, it just blew me away. I didn't expect it from John Hammond. That's why I gave him my best hinge person. Cool. You know, Buddy is my best hinge person also. I agree with Jamie completely on that. Because I think of all the other hinge people uh, in this, he's the only one we maybe get a bit of a sense of outside of this or before the, his criminal background. You know, I think when, when Bats speculates about he's a Wall Street guy, you know, I kind of get that sense too. I think Bats read him correctly. And, and, and I guess I kind of go into my head, my own head canon here. You know, I see this big Wall Street, Street trader who loses big, you know, loses it all, decides, you know what, forget it. You're going to steal from me. I'm going to steal back what you're taking. Um, you know, Darling is all he has left of that old life. And she maybe was a dancer at some point, and that's how they got connected up. I don't know. You know, but... And I think that explains his motivation when he does go off the rails because the only thing he had from his old life was darling. 
And when she gets killed, he's like, you know what? That's it. I got nothing left. I've got nothing to lose. And, and baby becomes kind of the focus of that anger. So yeah, I think Buddy's also my, my best. Well, I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction, but I want to speak to uh, what Sam said about Buddy. Now, Buddy, uh, he, him being my best character and sticking with the, uh, you know, the Oscar uh, type awards, I'm going with a different hench person. But uh, I think, I think Darling was his key. I think he found this wild dervish, you know, who just made his life worth something when he was ready to give it all up. And when she was dead, he just had no reason left to live, I think. Was she was probably his only only hinge to this world, but uh, you spoke to Jamie Fox being just a bad guy cranked up to eleven, and you know Jamie Fox is a leading man level actor in, in in a lot of movies. In this movie, he's relegated to a second level side character, you know, a second level hinge person essentially. Uh, but man, he chews the scenes when he's in them, and he's just insane and just messing, messing, messing. Especially you know, he's coming in here with this alpha male buddy. And he's bucking against him. Oh, yeah, you're the alpha. Let's see what I'm going to do, you know. And just, just button heads there. Just tearing him up. But, yeah, I loved Jamie Foxx's portrayal of Bats. And so Jamie Foxx uh, is my favorite hench person there. But, you know, someone who doesn't need a hench person. Someone who kicks tail and takes names. All the way from the Matrix to John Wick is our beloved Keanu Reeves. Jamie. Where do we drive and heist to in this movie to get to Keanu Reeves? Uh, well, it was tempting just to say speed because, like, cars go fast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, music plays an obviously important role in this movie. Uh, several of the scenes play out like music videos, almost. Um, it is used throughout the movie to set the mood and to amplify themes. Um, it drives the movie the way Baby drives getaway cars. Mm -hmm. But there are a few cast members who, who are musicians as well as acting in this flick. Uh, there's Paul Williams, who isn't the Keanu connection, but has, an, but has had an awesome career, both music and acting. I mean, the man got to host the Muppet Show on its first <laughs> season, for goodness sake. Uh, Jamie Foxx also took a short break from acting to have a meteoric music career after being in Ray. He's also not the Keanu connection. Uh, I'm not sure how many listeners know this, but Keanu is a musician as well as an actor and played in a band for quite a while named Dogstar. Keanu played bass in that band. Like another actor in this movie, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who plays Eddie in this movie. But that is also not the Keanu connection. <laughs> There's more. You just broke me. <laughs> so it's not just the bass playing. Flea also co-starred with Keanu. In my own private Idaho. And that oh, yes. is the Keanu Connection. <laughs> <gasps> oh, that is the Keanu Connection. Jamie, you oh. <laughs> I, I found the Keanu Connection in about five minutes. So I had a little extra time to get a little that's, creative with it. That's hilarious. I love, the, I love the creativity there. I love the creativity there. And, you know, if, if nobody can tell, from our enthusiasm and our and our you know side trails at this movie, we we treasure this movie. We love this movie, so we encourage you if you haven't seen it, pick up a copy. Hopefully, we haven't spoiled it for you. Hopefully, uh, you know it's it's still colorful, it's still fun. Definitely, and it's very it rewatchable. I find more stuff. Yeah. I mean, more times the music's important, more stuff in the background. 
I, every time I watch this movie, I, there, there's more to, to find. Uh, but um, we'll finally stop gushing about Baby Driver. And uh, we'll try to restrain ourselves next week as well. Because next week we're doing a listener request. Um, uh, a vo- well, there's a voice everybody knows now. He was on the crossover. Uh, Josh um, gently admonished. Uh, was baffled, befuddled by the fact that we haven't reviewed The Martian yet. Oh. <laughs> uh, and so we're going we're gonna to watch and review The Martian for our next episode. And I think that's streaming. Is that a Hulu one? I'm not sure where that's at. Um, uh, I'm not sure where that's streaming at. I, I think it's available. I don't remember exactly where. I should have looked that up, but we also decided this about five minutes before we started. <laughs> <laughs> but The Martian's yes. a good time. It's a... Uh, it's a, it's a great flick. And I think it's another one. I think it's just kind of gotten forgotten a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we have Matt Damon playing Tom Hanks in Castaway in Space. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> I just missed Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he had became a diva. His contract was too much to get him for the second That's part. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think we're done here. Um so let's uh let's turn up the radio, get behind the wheel, and keep it nerdy. Sorry, I didn't want to to let that rip on the podcast. Here we go.